Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Welcome to this Bible lesson. The worldwide impact of this ministry isn't happening because of anything I'm doing. It isn't because of anything we're doing as a group. It's because of what the Lord is able to do. Who is Jesus Christ? At Barah Ministries, we know this truth that Jesus Christ is God. He is the Jewish Messiah. He is the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. He is the sovereign God of the universe, and nothing happens in the universe without his permission. He is the omnipotent one, the one with all the power. Romans chapter 4, verses 19 to 21 say this, Without becoming weak in faith, Abraham contemplated his own body, which was sexually dead since he was about 100 years old. And he contemplated the deadness of his wife Sarah's womb. She was barren. Romans 4.20 Yet with respect to the promise of God the Father, who promised him a son, Abraham did not waver in unbelief, but was strengthened inwardly by God the Father in faith. Abraham gave glory to God, Romans 4.21, and being fully assured because of his faith, Abraham knew that what God the Father had promised, he was also able to perform. Or what did the angel say to Mary about the virgin birth she was about to have? Luke chapter 1, verse 37, he said, Nothing will be impossible with God. God's strength is all we need to accomplish anything, and God always comes through because he has all the power. He is omnipotent. Now, why does Barah Ministries exist? At Barah Ministries, we make a difference by teaching the Word of God verse by verse from God's perspective and not from man's perspective. We are Christians, and we have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the Lord through the study of His Word. Our omnipotent God's Word is all we need. How powerful is the Lord's Word? Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says this, The Lord Jesus Christ is the radiance of God the Father's glory, And he is the exact representation of God the Father's nature. And the Lord Jesus Christ upholds all things by the word of his power. And the word of his power is divine omnipotence. If you ever wondered why the earth doesn't stop spinning, if you ever wondered why stars don't collide and create an explosion that kills all of us, if you ever wondered why the universe 
stays together. If you ever wonder why nuclear power plants don't melt down and kill us all, it's because Jesus Christ holds the world together by the word of his power. Now, the Bible is not just a bunch of stories. It is the absolute truth. But just because the Bible's hard to understand doesn't mean it's confusing. Learning the Bible requires effort on your part, as does so much that is meaningful in this life. And we implore you to always compare what you learn at Barah Ministries to what the Bible has to say. Because the Bible is the ultimate authority. Pastor Rory Clark is not the ultimate authority. It's what the Bible says. So check it out. This isn't just an invitation. It's a responsibility. Now, God has an enemy, Satan, whom God made the ruler of this world. John chapter 12, verse 31 says this. Now, judgment is upon this world. Now, the ruler of this world, Satan, will be cast out. He will be dethroned in the future, and he will be thrown into the lake of fire. The spiritual life is warfare, and your soul is the battleground. Satan's objective is to ruin your life. His strategy against your mind is is the lies of religion. He deceives you into following false teachers and gets you to worship false gods, counterfeit gods. And what most people don't think about is that Satan also attacks your body. Job chapter 2 gives an example. He smote Job with skin cancer. There's another example in Matthew chapter 17 verse 15. A distraught father brings his demon-possessed son to the Lord, demons who were causing epilepsy. Matthew chapter 17, verse 15 says this, Lord, have mercy on my son, for my son has epilepsy and is very ill, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. That is the way demons torture us. Now, this kid was an unbeliever, so it was he was demon-possessed. We are demon-influenced. And there's always an influence to hurt our bodies. Why does Satan and his demons seek to ruin our bodies? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Or do you not know? Are you ignorant? And whenever Paul says that, he's asking you, are you ignorant? Do you not know that your body is a temple of God the Holy Spirit who is indwelling you believers in Christ, whom you have from God the Father? You are not your own. 1 Corinthians 6.20, for you believers in Christ have been bought with a price. What price? The precious blood of the Savior at the cross, which we celebrate today. Therefore, a command, glorify God in your body. Satan attacks wherever the Lord indwells. Satan reasons that if your temple isn't working for you, then you're not working for God. Primary weapon against your body is sugar just so you know, and cigarettes, and alcohol, and drugs. God delivers his believers from the stranglehold that Satan has on our bodies. Take care of your body. Well, today's Bible lesson, is there really a resurrection from the dead? Is there really a resurrection from the dead? Last Sunday, we celebrated Resurrection Day the day when our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. For years, the reality of Christ's resurrection from the dead has been questioned. A valid question, to be sure. 
But for Christians, a question that is raised by the kingdom of death and darkness to discredit the possibility that our Lord Jesus Christ is who he says he is, which is God himself. In the first century Corinthian church, the believers were wondering if bodily resurrection from the dead is even possible. They also wondered how it's possible. Well, in today's lesson, we'll overview the structure of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where the Apostle Paul addresses this issue in six parts. Only two chapters to go in 1 Corinthians, so likely we will finish this letter within the next three months, and then we'll be off to a couple of Paul's shorter letters like Colossians and Ephesians, in-depth studies of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Christian way of living. Also, as we do every month, today we celebrate the Lord's Supper, which invites you to look at another pro, uh, provocative and hair-raising question. Is your salvation secure? Is your salvation secure? What would you say, John? What? I said, is your salvation secure? Did you say no? No, I said yes. Oh, Okay. <laughs> It sounded like you said, no, I was about to come over there. I was about like, what? <laughs> yeah, no, pastor, I'm not pastor passive. I can get it on if I have to. All right. So let's listen to some music. <laughs> let's listen to some music. You have a personal God, and your life is personal to him. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5 says this, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I set you apart for privilege. I have appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Isn't that funny that my friends Nate and Molly are looking at that little baby and they don't even know maybe that before he was even formed in the womb, God knew him. And his whole life was laid out. And all the things that they will lead him to, because they'll lead him to be a believer in Christ. And all those things that he comes in contact with are from God. And he has already been appointed to be somebody amazing in this world. Well, Jeremiah was set apart for privilege, just as you are set apart for privilege. That's called sanctification. And rather than seeing yourself the way you see yourself, how about if you see yourself the way God sees you? That's one of the things I'm going to teach about at the conference, how God sees you. So here's Hillsong Worship to remind us in song who you say I am. would welcome me I was lost but he brought me and oh his love for me oh his love
Let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for placing us in your plan, a sphere of provision and protection where you are ever-present. Thank you for gifting us within that sphere with faith and hope and love. Because of your gift of faith, we have absolute confidence in your word. Because of your gift of hope, we look forward to the future that your Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, carved out for us at the cross. And because of your gift of unconditional love, we know that we can't disappoint you. Father, help us notice as God the Holy Spirit rids us of the sin which so easily entangles us. Eliminate the sinful desires we have because of the flesh resident in us. Teach us to not feel guilty when we sin. And instead, teach us to count on the transformation you are working in us as you keep on perfecting us until the day of Christ Jesus. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. I didn't hear ya. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, is there really a resurrection from the dead? Is there really a resurrection from the dead? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you'll see six sections ready for us to study. Section 1 is verses 1 to 11. Section 2 is verses 12 to 19. Section 3, verses 20 to 28. Section 4, verses 29 to 34. Section 5, verses 35 to 49, and section 6, verses 50 to 58. So let's get a preview of what we'll be studying. Section 1, what do we believe about the resurrection from the dead? Here's what Paul has to say to the Corinthian believers. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. Now I, Paul, made known to you, brethren, believers in Christ in Corinth, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which gospel you also stand. 1 Corinthians 15, 2. By which gospel you are also saved, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, 1 Corinthians 15, 4, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, 1 Corinthians 15, 5, and that he appeared to Cephas, that is, the rock. Who is the rock? Simon Peter. There it is again. This is exactly what we studied last week, that God has this tremendous concern for all of us personally, and here he is mentioned again. He appeared first to Peter. Why? Because Peter was hurt. And then to the twelve which was a nickname for all of the apostles, but we know that there were only 11 at that point when he appeared because one of them had betrayed him and had gone off and killed himself, Judas Iscariot. 1 Corinthians 15, 6. After that, Jesus appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now. Remain means are still alive until now. But some have fallen asleep. What does it mean to fall asleep? Physical death. 1 Corinthians 15, 7. And then he appeared to James. His brother, half-brother James was an unbeliever until Jesus appeared to him after the resurrection. But before that, he did not believe that Jesus Christ was God. 
And then he appeared to all the apostles, the other 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 8. And last of all, he appeared as to one untimely born, Paul referring to himself. He appeared to me also. 1 Corinthians 15, 9. For I am the least of the apostles. He is the worst person in human history. He is not being self-effacing here. He is not kicking the dirt and having some pretend humility. He is the worst person of all time. I am the least of the apostles, and I'm not fit to be called an apostle. Why is that, Paul? Because I persecuted the church of God. His single-handed goal was to wipe out the Christian church, and he regularly killed men, women, and children who were Christians, seeking to eliminate that thing called the way, which is what Christians were called in the first century. 1 Corinthians 15.10, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me didn't prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I laboring, but the grace of God with me doing the labor. See, that is, if, if you want to know how to be successful, there's one word. One and only one word. Effort. Effort. It's not talent. It's not good looks. It's not money. It's effort. Work. Do the work. Do the work and the success will follow. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 11. Whether then it was for I or they, so we preach the gospel and you believe. All right, so that's the first section. Section two, what if the resurrection from the dead isn't true? What if the resurrection from the dead isn't true? 1 Corinthians 15, 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Well, they were thinking like pagans. That's why they were saying that. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised from the dead. Rut roll. Rut roll. If Christ wasn't raised from the dead, he's just another martyr, isn't he? He's not God. I mean, Gandhi laid down his life. There are a whole bunch of people who've laid down their life for stuff. Martin Luther King. But they ain't God. Qualified to be God, you've got to be resurrected from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 14. And if Christ has not been raised from the dead then our preaching as pastors is in vain, and your faith in listening to all this crap is in vain. So therefore, thank you very much. Where are the Cinnabons? Where is the Arizona Republic? And where, <laughs> where is the Kenny Rankin music? Alexa, play Kenny Rankin. You feeling me? Are you feeling me? Say amen. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifteen. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised from the dead. 1 Corinthians fifteen sixteen. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. 1 Corinthians fifteen seventeen. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is work, worthless and you are still in your sins. Now, since we know that Christ has been saved, has been resurrected from the dead, are you in your sins? No. No. 
You are not in your sins. You are in the Spirit. If the Spirit in God dwells you, which He does. Amen? Amen. This is that you you gotta be getting goosebumps, because I am. Those are those little tiny, you know, flesh. You get, yeah. First Corinthians fifteen, eighteen. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If there's no resurrection from the dead, the dead are just dead. And there are a lot of people who believe that that is the case. 1 Corinthians 15, 19. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men the most to be pitied. What a shame. Can't wait to study that passage, that section. Section 3, what if the resurrection from the dead is true? And it is, June said. First class condition if. Oh, yeah. Go ahead, June. First Corinthians 15, 20. But now Christ ha- has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who are asleep. What is the first fruits? Larry's getting all giddy back there because he knows what first fruits are. You know, he's a farmer. And he, he, he plant that corn. Did you plant corn? Yeah, he plant that corn. And then as the corn grew and Larry would stand out there all proud, he'd look at his wife and they, you know, they start singing Oklahoma or, you know, everything's up to date in Kansas City or whatever they say. And they stand out there all proud and pat it, look at Larry and say, well, Larry, you going to do it? And Larry said, I'm going to have to do it. And he go out and he pulls some ears off and that's the first fruit, right? Because the farmer ought to get the best stuff. Right, that's Jesus Christ. He is the first fruit. However, after the first fruit is picked, what do you expect to come afterward? Everything else. That's you guys. The first fruit's already done. You guys are next. Isn't that awesome? All you believers in Christ. All right, so 1 Corinthians 15, 20 again, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. 1 Corinthians 15, 21, For since by a man came death, in Adam all die spiritually. When we were born, we were in union with Adam, and we died spiritually. But by a man also, the last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, came the resurrection from the dead. In Christ all shall be made alive. 1 Corinthians 15, 22. <gasps> there it is. For in Adam all die, but in Christ all will be made alive. What is that made alive? It's eternal life, the resurrection life. 1 Corinthians 15, 23. But each in his own order. Christ is the first fruits. And after that, those who are Christ's at his coming. What coming? The rapture of the church. He will meet us in the air. He will meet his church age believers in the air. So Christ is first. We're next. We are some bad hombres. Amen? The church-age believers are bad hombres. Everybody's going to be looking at us. Our, our resurrection body's going to be blinged out. I mean, Moses, don't be staring, man. Don't stare. David, yeah, I know you're a bad dude, but don't be, don't be you know, church-age. <laughs> it's going to be so good. All the Old Testament guys. Daniel, that's the guy I'm not going to like in heaven, Daniel. Because Daniel didn't do anything wrong. You know, Daniel was a bad hombre. He didn't do anything wrong. He, uh, I go on a lion's den. Lion, sit down someplace. And the lion would sit down. He was, Daniel was unbelievable. 
But anyway, it's going to be fun in heaven to just pretend. It's fun here on earth to pretend like that's what's going to happen in heaven. What's really going to happen in heaven is we're going to be in awe for about the first million years. Anyway, 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty three. Each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, and after that, those who are Christ that is coming, that's us. 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty four. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, and we is, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and all power. All these people that he allowed to be in power, all these people that he put in power, according to Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 4, their, their power will be stripped, and there will be only one power, and that is the power of God the Father. 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty five. but he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. I can't wait for that day. We're going to be laughing and celebrating. That's going to be the biggest party ever. If 1 Corinthians 15, 26, the last enemy that will be abolished is death. No more sorrow, no more tears. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come in a place exceeding and abundantly beyond anything we could ever ask or think. 1 Corinthians 15, 27. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet, But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he has accepted who put all things in subjection to him. 1 Corinthians 15, 28, when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself also will be subjected to the one who subjects all things to him, so that God the Father may be all in all. Section 4, what happens to us if resurrection from the dead isn't true? 1 Corinthians 15, 29. Otherwise, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why then are they baptized for them? 1 Corinthians 15, 30. Why are we also in danger every hour? And that's Paul talking about himself. He's putting himself in danger every hour by preaching the gospel message that Jesus Christ is God around the Jews who wanted to kill him. 1 Corinthians 15.31, I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. Every day is a, a siege. You know, over the last couple of days, just been pelted mentally by the kingdom of death and darkness. And it's a horrible experience when that happens. But we have a God who is faithful. And so... A slave is not greater than his master, and I don't expect that I'm going to get some privilege that the Lord didn't get, so I just take my beating, and Satan is trying to discourage me from teaching about him at the conference coming up, and it ain't going to work unless I'm dead, so that's that. 1 Corinthians 15.32, if from human motives I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, What does it profit me? If there's no resurrection from the dead, why am I doing all this stuff? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. That's right. And that became a song. I don't know if you know that, but that became a song later. That verse became a song. Do you know the song? 2000, party over, oops, out of time. So tonight we're going to party like it's 1999. The prince looked at that and said, I'm going to make a song out of that. If the dead aren't raised, let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. 
Let's party like it's 1999. Amen? <laughs> you guys are so gullible. Uh, y'all are on the hook. Yeah. <laughs> I will die for you. Yeah, he did sing about Christ. 1 Corinthians 15.33, do not be deceived, bad company corrupts good morals. 1 Corinthians 15.34, so become sober-minded as you ought, and stop sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. All right, section 5, what is the case for a resurrection body? Is our physical body today going to be the same as our resurrection body? I have a lot of friends who are Seventh-day Adventists. And what they believe, in essence, is that the, the Adventist part is the Latin word for coming. And what they're saying is Christ will come again. They're right about that. There is the second coming of Christ. And the Seventh-day part is the Sabbath did not change from Saturday. That's false. The Sabbath changed at the cross. The Sabbath today is every day. Amen? Amen. There's no special day. There are no temples, except your body is a temple of the Lord, as we learned a little earlier. All right. So 1 Corinthians 15, 35. But some will say, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? If you go to Israel, one of the things you'll see is there is the gate which during the millennial reign, Jesus Christ will walk through. And uh, you, you've probably heard of Palm Sunday in the Roman Catholic uh, celebration, but what is alleged is that he will walk down that path and they will put palms in front of him as he walks into Jerusalem uh, on, right through the wall. There's a, an opening of the gate and he's going to walk right through the wall. Well, there's a cemetery right there. And a lot of very wealthy Jewish people are buried there because what they reason is when he comes the second time and makes that walk, they're making it easy for him to resurrect them from the dead. Isn't that nice? Isn't that nice? Isn't that considerate of them to do that? Because, you know, God's not powerful enough to bring them from wherever they are. You guys who live in Phoenix, you're screwed. Yeah? Yeah? Uh, people in New York, forget it. You know, that's never happening. Texas, nah. Yeah, the cremated people, they have no chance, right? So this is the, the issue that's being addressed here. But some will say, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? So one of the reasons I brought up the Seventh-day Adventists is because they, they really believe that they have to eat in such a way that they preserve their body. Because that's the body that we're going to have in the resurrected state. It is not. It is not. Thank goodness. I don't want this. Uh, please, do something about this guy. <laughs> First Corinthians fifteen thirty six. You fool! That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. That's what happens to our physical body. 1 Corinthians 15, 37, that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or something else. So Paul is using an agriculture analogy to get the point across to an agrarian society. 
1 Corinthians 15, 38. But God gives it a body just as he wished. And to each of the seeds, a body of its own. In other words, there is a resurrection body. 1 Corinthians 15, 39. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men, and there's another flesh of beasts, and another flesh of birds, and another flesh of fish. 1 Corinthians 15, 40. There are also heavenly bodies. And earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly body is one thing, and the glory of the earthly body is another. So, all of you who are so good looking here on earth, it's going to be get reversed on the resurrection body. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're going to get yours. First <laughs> Corinthians 15 41. There is one glory of the sun. Another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star and glory. 1 Corinthians 15, 42, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body, it is raised an imperishable body. There's a difference between the earthly body and the heavenly body. 1 Corinthians 15, 43, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. This body that we have has the flesh. Our resurrection body will not have the flesh. It will have a body of power and a body of glory exactly duplicate to the body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15.44 It is sown a natural body and it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body and there is, there is also a spiritual body. 1 Corinthians 15, 45. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last man, Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, became a life-giving spirit. What kind of life? A resurrection life-giving spirit. 1 Corinthians 15, 46. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural is first, then the spiritual. 1 Corinthians 15, 47. The first man is from earth, Earthly, the second man is from heaven. That's us. Our polituma, our citizenship is in heaven, from which heaven we eagerly await a Savior who is Jesus Christ the Lord. 1 Corinthians fifteen forty eight, As is earthly, so also are those who are earthly. And as is heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. 1 Corinthians fifteen forty nine. Just as we have borne the image of the earthly, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. We have hope. We have a future. Section 6, what is the change from the earthly body to the resurrection body? 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed. He's describing the rapture now. 1 Corinthians 15, 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. 1 Corinthians 15, 53. For this perishable, our physical body, must put on the imperishable, our resurrection body. And this mortal human being must put on immortality. That 
body that we will have for all eternity. 1 Corinthians 15, 54, But when the perishable will have put on it the imperishable and the mortal will have put on immortality then we will come about then will come about the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory and then taunting here's paul taunting death first corinthians 15:55 oh death where is your victory oh death where is your sting first corinthians 15:56 the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty seven. But thanks be to God the Father who gives us the victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Awesome. So we will begin our study of chapter 15 next week. We'll have six sections to study. And when we return from the break, we'll take the offering and then we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper. Take a five minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong. At the end of the line, will all the other not quite? Will all the never get it right? But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. Cause I'm just a nobody. We're trying to tell everybody. We're all about somebody who saved my soul. Ever since you rescued me. For the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus When Moses had stage fright And David brought a rock to a sword fight You picked 12 outsiders Nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose so when I hear that devil start talking to me Saying who do you think you are I say I'm, I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody We're all about somebody Who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to see I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus for the world to see Nobody but Jesus So let me go down, down, down In history As another blood bought Faithful member of the family And if they all forget my name Well, that's fine with me I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus Just 
magic button, the microphone comes on. Today's Bible lesson, is there really a resurrection from the dead? Well, the Apostle Paul talked about giving more than any of the New Testament authors of Scripture. Yet never once did he mention the word tithe. Instead, what he taught is that systematic giving, voluntary giving on a regular and predetermined basis, is one way Christians express their gratitude to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 to 8 say this, Now this I, Paul, say, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows an abundance will also reap an abundance. 2 Corinthians 2, 7. So each one of us must give just as he has purposed in his own heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, not because somebody is forcing you to. For God loves a joyfully willing giver. 2 Corinthians 2, 8. And God is able to make every grace abound to you, so that always having all that you need in everything, so you may have an abundance for every good work. I hope that you follow Paul's direction by giving systematically, voluntarily, and intentionally rather than under religious guilt and compulsion. Giving as an expression of your spiritual life and your spiritual gift. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring offering messages. Got something in your throat? Good morning. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm anointed as a deacon for Bra Ministries. I'm blessed. I'm blessed as a deacon for Bra Ministries. And Bra Ministries is a worldwide Christian church. This is a place for real people who want to listen to a real pastor teach the real truth from the Word of God. And as we look back at Jesus over Easter and this week over these verses and just in general as you look back at Jesus, what was one thing that stands out to you? Anybody? Anybody? No? For me, it's, <laughs> for me, it's that he was always thinking about others. He was always thinking about others. But not just surface. He was thinking about them personally, like Pastor was talking about with Peter. He was always putting others first. We can see that in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selflessness or empty conceit, but with humility consider one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also look out for the interests of others. So that's always easier said than done, right? But, you know, Denise brings wonderful food each week. She brings quiches, breakfast lasagna, these little potato things with sausage in there. I don't even know what those were, but they were amazing. Breakfast sandwiches. And my instinct is just to grab four or five of them. But i got to think about you guys. You guys got to eat too, right? It's not very cool if I stole all the food and nobody had any food, right? So I'm thinking of others. And how about, you know, another example of traffic. Do you guys let people in when somebody speeds up or do you close up the gap? You know, do you use your turn signals when you're about to take a turn or you do not use the turn signals? Those are simple things about thinking about others. It helps a lot. When somebody turns their signal on, oh, they're going to turn right, let me get out of this lane or let me slow down, right? If nobody turns a signal on, you're going to smash into them. And so it's just simple things about thinking about others. And so when you think about Jesus, you know, he, he thought about others and was on the cross. You think about Jesus, he, he was always thinking about others, not just that, you know, they learn about him and have faith, but they learn that he loves them, learn that they can have hope through him. 
And that's something we do at the offering. It's a chance to, it's just a chance to give and it's a chance to think about others. It's a chance to help others. And it's to think some of those things, like Pastor says, that this is supernatural. This isn't just money handing over hands. This is God watching over all this. God watching over this whole ministry. So we always thank you for giving at the offering because you truly are mirroring what, Je- what Jesus did, is thinking about others. You've all been anointed with your cash. Now just anoint <laughs> it back to us. And we'll help others. And so thank you, Pastor, and thank you, Barah. We love you. <clears throat> I don't know what you said, but probably not. 
No, he's not getting a birthday announcement. There is no way. All right, the Lord's Supper celebration at the cross. The Lord Jesus Christ made you secure for all eternity. At the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ made you secure for all eternity. Welcome to the Lord's Supper celebration, the most intimate expression of our deep, intimate, and loving personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. In this celebration, the Lord reminds us of the unity all believers in Christ possess, and he shares his body and his blood with us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, the Apostle Paul says on behalf of the Lord, as often as you eat this bread, representing his body, and as often as you drink this cup, representing his blood, put that up, as part of the Lord's Supper celebration, you proclaim as a reality and you announce the significance of the Lord Jesus Christ's death on a cross and his resurrection from the dead, until he comes again at the second coming. Every month, we celebrate the Lord's Supper to remember. We remember that we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, dependent on him for our so great salvation. We remember that we believers in Christ are in union with Christ, and we can't get out of our union with him. We remember that the Lord loves us unconditionally, We remember that we are forgiven for every sin we commit, past, present, and future. And we remember that we have the Lord's grace to help in times of need, especially when we make mistakes. The Lord's Supper celebration is often called communion. It's our chance to commune with the Lord. It's a sacred celebration, so it's not something that we take for granted. It's not something we do on the fly. It's a time to have bread and wine in front of us, And as we enjoy the elements, we remember our dependence on the Lord Jesus Christ, both for our physical sustenance and our spiritual sustenance. During the Lord's Supper celebration, Jesus wants his believers to look back for a few moments. We look back at the cross to remember how he rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. We look back to the cross to remember the sacrifice his shedding of blood made to cover our sins, and we look back to remember the deliverance to the resurrection life he orchestrated, bringing us into his kingdom of light. During the Lord's Supper celebration, Jesus wants his believers to look forward as well, in anticipation that he is coming again. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we ask ourselves in reflection, what did the Lord Jesus Christ do for us at the cross? Do you see it? Do you see when you look at the cross, do you ask yourself that question? What did he do for us at the cross? This month, we acknowledge that at the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ made you secure for all eternity. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, there was a moment in time when God the Holy Spirit's convicting ministry made you aware that you were a sinner and that you needed a Savior. You turned your eyes skyward, and with all the sincerity a spiritually dead person can muster, you asked God to save you. And he did. Acts chapter 16, 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. And now, you're saved. When you close your eyes in this life, 
you're going to heaven. But wait, are you really? Is it that simple? Are you eternally secure? As a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, how secure is your relationship with God? In fact, when you think of any relationship, but especially the relationship with God, what is security? Security is an assurance, a guarantee that something is safe. Conversely, what is insecurity? What does it feel like when we are insecure? It, it's when we're subject to fears, doubts, confusion, uneasiness, and uncertainty. What's going to happen to me when I die? At the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ guaranteed a believer in Christ's eternal security. So what is eternal security? It's the biblical truth that once a person places confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, and once this person is placed into union with Christ through the baptism of God the Holy Spirit, this person can never do anything to lose salvation because of God's guarantee to protect the salvation that he provided. I'm going to read that again. That's a really good definition. I wonder who created that definition. (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) Eternal security is the biblical truth that once a person places confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, and once this person is placed into union with Christ through the baptism of God the Holy Spirit, This person can never do anything to lose salvation because of God's guarantee to protect the salvation that he provided. That's an amazing definition. John chapter 10, verse 28 says it succinctly. I, the Lord Jesus Christ, the sovereign God of the universe, give eternal life to believers in Christ, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Our God is not a God of fears and doubts and confusion and uneasiness and uncertainty. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33 says, God is not a God of confusion. Well, who introduces doubt into our thoughts? Satan, the enemy of God, is the sponsor of fears, doubt, confusion, uneasiness, and uncertainty. And he is lying. He sponsors false teachers who say there is no eternal security to rob you of God's peace. Imagine that. And see, I don't have to imagine it because I was in a discipline, Roman Catholicism, where we were always wondering if God liked us and whether we were going to be saved or not. Always wondering. Oh, my God, I sinned again. Oh, my God, I can't stop sinning. Oh, my God, I promised not to eat candy for Lent. And then I sneaked those jelly beans. Oh, my God, God is so upset that I sneaked some jelly beans. I'm going to go to hell because I ate jelly beans when I promised not to do it for Lent. That's what it was like to be a Roman Catholic. It was always doubt. We had the wrong picture of God. That was another Jesus that we were worshiping. It is not the Jesus of biblical Christianity. And so that's what what happens when you're not eternally secure. You're always wondering. And see, when, when, when you feel that you're not eternally secure, what you're counting on is yourself to provide the security. 
what you're saying is if you do something cool, God's going to like you a lot, and then you're fine. And then 10 minutes later, you do something uncool, and now you're not fine. That's insecurity. That is absolute insanity. I hated that life. Hated it. And at a point, got to the point where I didn't want to worship a God who was like that. All right, so Satan is the one who introduces the doubts. He sponsors these teachers who rob you of your peace by telling you that you don't have eternal security. And these false teachers contend that God is conditional. Here's an example. This is an article, Why Eternal Security is Not a Biblical Doctrine, by Philip A. Matthews. The promises of God are all conditional. That is, God's promised benefits are given to people as they meet the conditions stated or implied within that promise. In other words, God's promises have strings attached. God does not make blanket promises that apply to everybody in every place for every time. His promises are for specific people who meet specific conditions and qualifications for the specific benefits promised. That is bullshit. That is bullshit. And see, that's one of the things, when you know the truth, You can smell this crap a mile away. That is bullshit. And see, I used to study commentaries from guys like this. And then come and teach people from commentaries from guys like this. This guy is an unbeliever. There is no way that a believer could ever think anything like that. All you have to hear is one verse. God loved the world unconditionally. And he loved the world so much that he gave his uniquely born son that whosoever. Is that conditional? It's not. It's crazy. And, and we see this and we go, oh man, I, you know, I wonder, I, I wonder if that's plausible. I mean, maybe, maybe that's right. It's just like my kids when I send them off to college and then they come back telling me evolution is a possibility. Okay, I don't know where you're going to live from now on, but it ain't going to be in my house unless you get that out of your head today. And Yes. But you were high, so, you know, I, you didn't remember. You, rem- you didn't remember. You had just done a doobie. All right. <laughs> That'll teach you a lesson. Never mess with the guy with the microphone. Yeah, he said, he said, <laughs> <win>. <laughs> Larry knows. Don't mess with the guy with the microphone. <laughs> that is sound advice. This is a person who hasn't got the slightest idea who God is. Trying to teach somebody about God. A classic example of a person who's looking at God from the human viewpoint. He is likely an unbeliever. He thinks that God is like human beings, conditionally. God is not like us. He is the creator. We are creatures. He is unconditional. We are conditional. He is immutable. He never changes. And he is faithful. He never turns his back on anyone. There is not enough room here to prove all the different ways that God is those three things. 
but a sample of what the Bible has to say about your eternal security is to give you comfort that you are saved once and for all time. For direction, we turn to the absolute truth, God's word for our comfort. John chapter 20, verse 31 says this, These things written in the Bible have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, the Son of God in human form, and that by believing in him, you may have the resurrection life in his name. The Bible, the Lord Jesus Christ's exact thinking, is our guide to learn about eternal security. 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12 say this, And the testimony is this, that God the Father has given us believers in Christ eternal life, the resurrection life, and this life is secure in union with his Son. 1 John 5, 12. He who has a relationship with... Sorry about that. He who has a relationship with God the Son, he who is in union with God the Son, and all believers in Christ are, has the resurrection life, eternal life. If you have the resurrection life, you cannot lose your salvation. If you're in union with Christ, you cannot lose your salvation. What is eternal life? It's a life with no beginning and no ending. It's you sharing the life of God because you're in union with Christ. It's a promise that you will receive a resurrection body in the future. Does your eternal security count on you? Or does it count on the God who is faithful to preserve your security? Does it count on you? No. It counts on the God who is faithful to preserve your security. James chapter 1 verse 17 says this, Every good thing given, like salvation, and every perfect gift, like salvation, is from above, coming down from God the Father of the heavenly lights, God the Father of the stars, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. God doesn't change. One thing Once God does a thing, it is done forever. Your salvation is already done, and it is done forever. What is God's plan for your eternal security? Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30. And this happened before you were even thought of. For those whom God the Father foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ so that the Lord would be the firstborn among many brethren. Romans 8.30 And those whom God the Father predestined, he also called. And these whom God the Father called, he also justified. And these whom God the Father justified, he also glorified. The only part of your salvation that is not yet complete is your glorification. And that will happen at a future time. But he foreknew you, he knew you before he even placed you in his mother's womb. He predestined you. He knew you would believe in Christ and he paid for everything in relation to it. Deacon Denny talked about it the other day. A person doesn't build a tower without considering whether they have enough money to finish the tower. He didn't make you unless he thought about what he would have to put in place so that you could have everything you needed. That's predestination. And then... He called you to the so great salvation. He said, don't you want me, baby? Do you want it? And you said, yes. 
And then what happened? He justified you, which is declaring you legally righteous because he and God the Son imputed their own righteousness to you at the moment of salvation so that you would be perfect once and for all time. While through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he placed you into union with Christ. Justified. That means God the Father is walking through the halls of heaven right now, announcing your name to the people who are there and letting them know that you are saved and that you will be coming there one day. And he does it every moment of every day. And the people who are up there who know you never get tired of hearing it. And then one day, you'll be glorified. You will have the same body that Jesus Christ has, the resurrection body. Now, if that doesn't get you excited, nothing will. And I guarantee you this, that does not excite you. It doesn't. Because, see, if I put you in a room and for 30 days came in every day, three times a day, and said, you are a jerk. And then 30 days later brought you out of the room and asked you, tell me what you are. You would say, a jerk. If I put you in that same room and every day came to you three times a day and said, you are an amazing person. And 30 days later I invited you out of the room and asked you what you are. You would say, you are a jerk. See, you don't believe any of this stuff. Because the, the, the lousy stuff's easier to believe. You get bored hearing about all the benefits you have. But I tell you what, I don't. I love it. I love it. And that's why you got to come here every week, because you got to get reminded over and over and over again. One of these days is going to stick for about five minutes. About five minutes, you're going to have some Velcro in your brain, and it's going to stick. And then it's going to fall off. And you're going to have to come back and get somebody to Put it back up there. As a matter of fact, right after this session, I'm going to have it all line up. And I'm going to pick it up and I'm going to put it right on you right after. (laughs) Amen? (laughs) No, I'm being a little harsh, but you know what I mean. You know what I mean, don't you? Why don't we believe this? Why do we listen to the liar? Why don't we get it how much... God loves us, adores us. Why can't we look at a mom? My friend Molly, she's got her baby. I was telling her, hey, Molly, you know, we're going to have an announcement, and you should tune in. Just go to the newsletter we sent you and just tune in. Oh, no. Oh, no, Rory, I'm feeding my baby. She ain't thinking about nothing else in the world but that baby right now. That's a mother's love. You know, her whole world has changed. Her whole mindset is completely enveloped in that baby. That's exactly the way God feels about you. Why can't we get that? If we can see it in a human being, doesn't our God know how to do that a thousandfold? Yes, he does. Why don't we get it? So too busy feeding ourselves with crap. Too busy believing the crap. Foreknown, predestined, conformed, called, justified, and soon to be glorified. God doesn't want you to just be secure. 
He wants you to feel secure as well. That's why he says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, I, Paul, am confident of this very thing, that he, God the Father, who began a divine good work in the creation of you, will keep on perfecting it until the day of Christ Jesus. Keep on perfecting it until the rapture of the church. Keep on perfecting it till the second coming. Keep on perfecting it for all eternity. Amen? God would never dream of letting his children go. Would never dream of letting his children stray. Human beings can do it. This little, I was at Home Depot yesterday, and this little girl is one of these little girls who's always wandering off. And when I'm traveling, I always like those kids who are wandering off. And I go up to him. I, there was this, this kid uh, when I was, I was coming through Washington, D.C., just coming out of Taiwan. And he was wandering off from the family. And I said, what are you doing? And he looked at me. I said, you know what you're doing. You're wandering off. I said, don't you ever watch TV? Don't you notice how the animal that always wanders off from the group gets eaten? Don't you notice that? He went over to his family. He didn't leave their side for another minute because he knew what was about to happen to him. He is about to get eaten. There's a little girl at Home Depot yesterday, the same thing. She's wandering off. I said, what are you doing? She ran to her parents. Boom. Grabbed their leg. I said, they can't save you. Then when I got home, I was watching uh, one of, uh, the Discovery Channel. And there was this lion biting this big buffalo in the neck. And then just dragging on with the buffalo. The buffalo's trying to get away, and the lion's got him by the neck. That's what happens when you wander off from the group. We don't wander off from the group. Do you think that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to give you a so great salvation and let you wander off from the group? There is no way. Nothing will snatch them out of my hands. Nothing. No way. Not no way, no how. Romans chapter 8 verse 16 says this. The Holy Spirit himself testifies with our human spirit that we are children of God. We are the born again ones. And the born again ones cannot wander off. God protects us. From losing our way. Jude chapter 1 verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Who's able to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless and with great joy. God sticks with us even when we turn our backs on him. I don't believe you heard me. So I'm going to say it again. He sticks with us even when we turn our backs on him. Something that a human being would never do. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 to 13 says this, It is a trustworthy statement, for if we believers in Christ died with him at the cross, and we did, the seed has to die to be resurrected imperishable. We will also live with him in heaven. Who's that talking about? Believers in Christ. 2 Timothy 2.12, If we endure, that's believers in Christ, and of course we will, we will also reign with him in the millennium. Now, unbelievers, if we disown him, as unbelievers do, and of course it happens, he will also disown us. Not a good idea to be an unbeliever. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, If we are faithless as believers in Christ, and we are, he remains faithful. Why? 
because he can't deny himself. The stroke of genius by being letting you be baptized with the Spirit and placed into union with Christ is when you are faithless, he goes with you everywhere you go and you can't get out. You go over here, he's with you. You go over there, he's with you. You go up, you go down, you go sideways, you go hang, he's with you. Amen? Somebody, one of my friends was the other thing. I feel so alone. I feel so alone. Are you a believer in Christ? Yeah. You ain't alone. You better go listen to some Whitney Houston. <laughs> hey, sometimes I'm lonely, but I'm never alone because the Bible tells me so. <laughs> Thank you, Denny. Thank you, Deacon. Thank you. Don't make me start over. Then clap. <laughs> you ain't clap. You ain't clap and start over. <laughs> Stay in my lane. That's awesome. So look, if we are faithless and we are, he remains faithful because he can't deny himself. We're in union with him. We're married to him. And God works with flawed people. John chapter 6, verses 35 to 40 say this. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst. John six thirty six. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. John six thirty seven, And that the Father, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. Eternal security. John six thirty eight. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of God the Father who sent me. John six thirty nine. This is the will of God the Father who sent me, that all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. John six forty. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have the resurrection life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Drop the mic. That's it. That's Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. Set you apart for privilege entirely, just like he saved you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved by God, complete. Passive voice. May you be preserved by God, complete, without blame, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. First Thessalonians 5.24 Faithful is he who calls you to salvation. And he will also bring your salvation to pass. He's already done four-fifths of it. All he's got to do is glorify you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 say this, The Lord, who will conform you to the end, your salvation is secure, conforming you as blameless, free from condemnation and accusation, in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking to the Corinthians, the goofiest bunch of people ever to live. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. God the Father is faithful, even when we are faithless. The Father, through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
1 Corinthians, uh, Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 40. I will make an everlasting covenant with them, and I will not turn away from them to do them good. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts so that they will not turn away from me. That's what he's going to do to the Jews one day. Right now, they've turned their back on him. But what's he going to do for the Jewish race? He's going to put and he's going to remind them of the everlasting covenant that he put in them, and they're going to turn back to him, and they'll never turn away from him again. Because he promised Abraham that that would happen. We are eternally secure. And we are eternally secure because a faithful God makes us that way. Well, let's enjoy the Lord's Supper element. Bread and wine. The Lord gave us these things to remember him. We will enjoy the elements together in a few moments as we listen to the Lord's Supper song. But for now, obeying the Lord's command, we keep on celebrating Christ regularly. We eat bread to remember who he is as a person, the one and only sovereign God of the universe. We drink wine to remember his work on the cross, the voluntary sacrifice he made to deliver us from sovereignty to sin. We remember with gratitude what God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ have done to save us. Luke chapter 22, verses 14 to 16 say this. When the hour came and his crucifixion was set for the next day, Jesus reclined at the table and the apostles reclined with him. Luke chapter 22, verses 15 and 16. And Jesus said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall not eat it again until all that it means is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 22, verses 19 to 23. And when Jesus had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body which is being broken for you. Keep on doing this in memory of me. And in the same way, Jesus took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus continued the celebration, pointing out that he has an enemy. But behold, the hand of the one betraying me is with mine on the table. For indeed, the Son of Man is going back to the Father as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Luke twenty-two twenty-three, 23. And the apostles began to debate among themselves which of them it was who was going to do this. As believers in Christ, we have chosen not to betray the Lord. Instead, we choose to obey our Lord with this celebration. Let's keep on eating the bread. Let's keep on drinking the cup. And let's do both to remember the Lord. Let this celebration encourage our hearts and our minds, filling us with awe and reverence and gratitude. This month, because we are eternally secure. Let's keep on being transformed by the Lord's life, his death, his burial, his resurrection from the dead, his ascension to God the Father, his seating at the majesty's right hand, 
and by the nourishment we get from his word, which feeds our souls. Well, the Lord has you right where he wants you. Maybe you feel inadequate. Maybe you don't feel like you're good enough. Maybe you think you're a disappointment to God because you make mistakes. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 says this, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be made as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be cleansed like white wool. God invites imperfect people into his loving, cleansing arms. And Crystal Lewis says, Come to me as you are.
closing moments of our lesson today are a reminder that God wants you. And what he wants from you is that you make the most important decision of your life. And so what we're going to share with you is the gospel message of salvation. And whether you're an unbeliever or a believer in Christ, you can't hear this message enough times. In God's eyes, you are the center of the universe. The bad news is that you're born in a state of unrighteousness, physically alive and spiritually dead, as an ungodly, unrighteous unbeliever. It's not your fault, but it is your circumstance. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, the Bible says this, All in union with Adam at physical birth, and that's every human being who comes to earth, are set to die the second death in the lake of fire. The good news is that the sovereign God of the universe, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, put himself on the line to rescue you from this problem. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 makes it crystal clear. There is salvation in no one else, and there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved except the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's plan for you is simple. Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. So right where you sit right now, you can tell God the Father that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the moment of eternal life for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4 say this. I, Paul, deliver to you as of first importance the gospel message I also received that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures. So heed the warning in John chapter 3 verse 36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. At the moment you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation, you are saved once and for all time. You are placed by God the Holy Spirit into union with Christ, a union you cannot get out of, and you can proudly claim the promise in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, which says there is now no condemnation for those who are in union with Jesus Christ. Believe right now. There's no time to waste. Then rest in the promise of John chapter 1, verse 12, which says this, As many as received the invitation from Jesus to be saved, and by the way, that's everyone who comes to earth, 
To them he gave the right to become children of God the Father, even to those who believe in his name. So let's close with some music. Yes, God wants you. And one day we'll realize it. June Murphy puts the realization into words in her song, Father, I'm yours. Yeah.
Thank you, June. We'll close with a doxology each week. What is a doxology? It's biblical words containing praise to our almighty God. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Jesus and he will make your path straight. For the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He'll be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. So do not fear or be dismayed. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. He waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice, and blessed are those who wait for him. So humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he might promote you at the proper time, slamming all your cares on his back, because God cares for you. And that means that God considers your problems to be his responsibility. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, we thank you for inculcating us with your word And we pray that it opens our spiritual eyes to our relationship with you. May it be filled with intimacy, a relationship to ourselves. May it be filled with acceptance of our strengths and our faults and our love for others. May we accept other people with their strengths and faults. May we forgive them every time they wrong us. And may we give them grace when they make mistakes. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming. Thanks for watching. And thanks for listening.